Cool. Well, if you haven't heard by now, my name is Adrian, Adrian Clevin, like in the Rocky movies, um, when Rocky says, yo, Adrian, that's me. Um, a little bit about myself, I graduated from UNC in 2020, um, so yeah, pretty exciting. I spent a lot of time here, thank you, thank you. <laughs> See, we didn't have a graduation, so no one clapped, so I appreciate it. Um, I spent a lot of time in the Arboretum because I lived for a while in that dorm over there, Spencer. You can see it through the trees. Um, and I got bit up by mosquitoes a lot. So please be aware, there's bug spray in the back. You won't hurt my feelings. If you feel them coming, go get some bug spray. It's not worth it to stay seated. So uh, now I work in marketing. It's a blast. I run a YouTube channel. So. Hashtag millennial, I guess, or Gen Z. <laughs> um, fun fact about me, one time I spilled Sprite on a UNC basketball player. It's not my most embarrassing moment. I've had a lot. It doesn't even make the list of most embarrassing moments. But still, it's a funny story. So ask me later if you want to hear more. Um, and I'm also a woman, which might not seem like it's worth mentioning, but I grew up kind of suspecting that I wouldn't get to be in this position. Um, preaching and teaching. So I'm super grateful for family and friends that not only said like, okay, I think that's allowed, but said yes, like go for it and champion me and said you were made for this. So super grateful for all of you guys. Um, our passage today is from Joshua. It's Joshua 3, 14 through 4, 7. And I asked Caroline to read this. So if you don't mind, I think if you want to use that mic. I think it's, can y'all hear me on this one? Closer? Oh, perfect. Lovely. Okay, cool. So Caroline's going to read our scripture for us. Yes, uh, I'm glad you made a Rocky joke already because I was going to make it. If you didn't. Um, but we're in Joshua 3, 14 through 4, 7. So when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priest carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Now the Jordan is at flood stage all during harvest. Yet as soon as the priest who carried the Ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap a great distance away at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zarephan, while the water flowing down from the Sea of Arabah, that is, the Dead Sea, was completely cut off. So the people crossed over opposite Jericho. The priest who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stopped in the middle of the Jordan and stood on dry ground, while all Israel passed by until the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground. When the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Choose twelve men from among the people, one from each tribe, and tell them to take up twelve stones from the middle of the Jordan, from right where the priests are standing, and carry them over with you, and put them down at the place where you stay tonight. So Joshua called together the twelve men he had appointed from the Israelites, one from each tribe, and said to them, Go over before the ark of the Lord your God in the middle of the Jordan. Each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites, to serve as a sign among you. In the future, when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. Awesome. Thanks, Caroline. Round of applause. <laughs> Cool. I'm going to pray real quick, and then we're going to get into it. Uh, dear Lord, thank you so much for this beautiful day. Thank you that the sun is shining and the birds are chirping, and we get to be outside and together again. We won't take for granted what a gift that is. 
Um, thank you for all the souls here today, and I pray that your Holy Spirit is on our group and that the Holy Spirit um, speaks through me and in spite of me, if necessary, Lord. Grateful for you and for all you've given us. Amen. All right, so let's talk a little bit, bit about that passage. Um, the Israelites have been wandering in the desert for quite some time at the point of this story. Um, and they're about to cross into the promised land. So we'll talk more about what the promised land and the Israelites are in a second. But God has his people cross over into the promised land through this river, the Jordan River. So when the day comes to do this, the Israelite priests step into the water first ahead of the crowd and the water from upstream stops flowing. It stops in this giant heap a little ways away from the Israelites. So the water stops midrush, it piles up, and scripture says this entire nation of people, this huge group of people, walks through the riverbed on dry ground. And later they perform this communal memorialization ritual where they grab stones from the water and they pile them as a memorial. So to me, this passage shows us two main things. Point number one, God can and will and has held back his own power for his people. And point number two, remembrance is so spiritually powerful. So again, point number one, God can and will and has held back his own power for his people. Point number two, remembrance is so spiritually powerful. Sometimes I remember things if I hear them like six times in a row. So that's not for y'all. That's mostly for me. Um, so first, let's talk about this people group and the word covenant we hear in this passage so Israel, if you're not familiar, is the people that God, from the very beginning of Scripture, kind of takes under his wing and he calls his own. He first reaches out to a man named Abraham. He promises that Abraham will be the father figure of a huge nation of people. And God also promises to give this people a swath of land in the modern-day Middle East that you might have heard called the promised land because God promised it to his people. So pretty self-explanatory name there. But the road into the promised land was not easy at all. The Israelites were held in slavery in Egypt for a couple hundred years. Then they escaped, if you've heard that story of them escaping from slavery in Egypt. And they came close to the promised land at one point, but long story short, they ended up wandering around in the desert for 40 years. So that's where we are right now in history. Let's talk about where we are in geography with this river, right? So if the name sounds familiar, it's probably because this body of water holds tremendous spiritual and religious significance to the people of Israel. I'm just going to run us through a couple points that kind of show its significance. So the Jordan River forms this north to south connecting line. Um, it's got the Sea of Galilee on the north and the Dead Sea in the south. Today it serves as a border between the Israeli-occupied West Bank and the nation of Jordan to the east. So that's kind of where it is right now in modern day. If you've heard of Elijah and Elisha, they were two prophets um, in the Old Testament. And basically they were the original dream team. They were um, always together. Uh, and they saw the Jordan River parted several times in front of them. And Elisha ended up performing several miracles in the Jordan. So that history is really sacred to the Israelite people. 
And again, Israel was actually required to spend 40 years in the desert. It was this very specific body of time that God asked them to spend in the desert. And so during this time, the Jordan River becomes kind of the symbol of an incrossable chasm. And it's one of many factors that blocks the Israelites from entering into this greatly anticipated land that God has promised them. So it's kind of a symbolic and a spiritual and physical barrier into what God has for them at the moment. So that's where we are in scripture. During the summer series, they wanted us uh, to talk a little bit about ourselves. So I'm going to do a quick Adrian story that kind of relates to this passage, at least in my mind. Um, And if you've worked at a camp, I don't know if y'all feel this way, but all your best stories turn into camp stories. So I'm going to work with what I've got and tell you a camp story today. Um, So I worked at a specific camp in the mountains of North Carolina, and one of the most popular activities at this camp was called tubing. Has anyone been tubing before? Not talking about behind a boat, but like in an inner tube, like down a river, lazy river. So that was one of the activities. And we would go tubing down a river called the Tow River in an inner tube. So the kids would do a route down the river, and near the end of the route, near this low stone bridge, They would get out of the water and they'd get on a bus and they'd go home. Pretty simple. But about every week for five summers, my job would be to go tubing and then stand in the river at the bottom of the route with the tow river rushing past me and help grab kids' tubes as they came down and get them up on the bank and get them on the bus to safety. It was the only not fun thing about summer camp. The water was always freezing cold. I'm very cold sensitive, not ideal. There were sometimes snakes, and I love God's creatures, but snakes are the one that that I can't always get behind. My sister is here, and she also worked at this camp, so you could probably say, did you ever see a snake? She saw a snake, so there you have it. Um, So it's it's a little bit of a lot going on. Um, And one day, there had been a storm earlier, and no one quite realized how fast this water was moving, but a staffer and I stepped out of our tubes at the end of the route, and immediately something was wrong. We could not stand up, and we'd been doing this for a long time, but we realized, oh no, this water is moving way quicker than we thought, and immediately the water starts barreling us out toward this low stone bridge. Um, And she's six feet tall. I'm about this tall. I'm a little shorter. Um, And if you know anything about river sports, if you've been kayaking, you've done whatever, you know that going really fast in the water toward a low stone bridge is not ideal. It is not the situation you want to be in. So we manage a few yards away. We're fighting this water. We grab a hold of some really thick branches, and we're both exhausted. We're bleeding. We're cut up. We've been fighting these rocks and rivers. Um, But as the kids just come rushing past us, we manage to grab each one of them and get them onto land. And of course, kids in summer camp, they didn't know any different. They thought, this is awesome. This is what happens every time. We were like, this is not what happens every time. So that's kind of my river story. And the Jordan River in today's passage is incomprehensibly larger than the Tow River in Avery County, North Carolina. Jordan River is a huge operation. You heard Caroline read, it overflows its banks during harvest season, so it gets even bigger than usual a couple times in the year. And God, the creator of the universe and of this immensely powerful river, 
the being who orchestrated the flow and the trajectory of this water, holds back that power for a moment, holds back the flow of his own river so that this persecuted, often looked down upon migrant group of people can pass through safely. He holds them safe and protected from his own power. This is pretty awesome. But this isn't the only time that God reigns in his power for his people. If we flip a couple books forward in scripture, we see the majesty of God being packed into the humble, migrant human being of Jesus Christ. And it's the ultimate example of God holding back his own power. He's becoming a version of glory with which the people around him could connect with and understand and have free access to. And what's cool about this connection is that we see the Jordan River come up again once Jesus grows up. So he's born as a baby. He's about 30 in this story when he begins his ministry by having his cousin John baptize him in the Jordan River. And the significance of that moment of Jesus' baptism in the same river is almost impossible to overstate, right? Because in our faith, baptism is a spiritual and symbolic declaration of God's forgiveness of our sin. It's another unbelievable show of humility, right? Because if there's anyone on the planet who does not need forgiveness from sin, it's Jesus. It's perfection wrapped in skin. He's the only being that does not need forgiveness. But he's over here in this very vulnerable position in this rushing river, engaging in this symbolic, quote-unquote, cleansing from sin, sin that would have been impossible by his very nature to commit. And the whole thing is a foreshadowing of how three years later about uh, Jesus will die for humanity and be buried, then rise again, and he'll have victory in his hand, and he'll have forgiveness for all who want it. So pretty awesome foreshadowing right there. But in the moment of his baptism in the Jordan River, the Spirit of God descends like a dove on the person of Jesus, and he says, this is my beloved Son. God marks and establishes Jesus as part of his own being in the river that his people crossed years and years and years before. I think St. Paul describes this best when he's talking to some folks called the Philippians. He says that God, quote, made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And he's talking about Jesus there. It's just like how God emptied that space in the river to give his people safe passage. I mean, they had boats back then, but it would have been pretty difficult to get those boats across the river, especially at flood stage. So instead of letting the Israelites struggle through that, God gave them this really unique experience of himself. So when we talk about applying this to our lives, I sometimes get a little antsy about applying Old Testament scripture and kind of forcing it into that box. Um, But I do think that in this case, there's a really clear application of this passage. Um, And there's something really huge that we can take and apply to our lives. And that's when God tells the Israelites to take 12 stones from the middle of the river right where the priests stood as everyone walked through. And God asked them to stack those rocks where they camped that very night. So why did God ask them to do that? Why did God ask them to stack these stones? Well, one possible reason is so that years later, say the Israelites pass through, they have kids, kids grow up, they're about 12, they're kind of like 
be like discovering the world, becoming more aware of the world. I don't exactly know what age that happens. I'm not like very schooled on like child development, but at some point kids start developing an awareness of the world. So, and they, they look over here at this pile of stones and they say, mom, dad, like, what's, what's with that pile of rocks over there? That's a little unusual. It's a little weird. Um, and mom or dad or, or an older adult in the community gets to say, okay, kid, listen, those stones right there were from the middle of the Jordan River. You know that river that's always rushing and it overflows during harvest and we tell you kids like not to go near without an adult because it's really scary? That river, God parted it and he allowed us to walk through and there wasn't a wet foot in the house because the, the bank of the river was bone dry and God showed us his power. It's not just for kids too, for that very generation when they were feeling discouraged or they were feeling let down and they were like, hmm, is God... Is God really here with this? Is God being faithful to me? They can look at those stones and say, wow, like I've not been faithful to God, but he has been here and he will continue to be here. And he made a promise to be here for us. And they can use that as a physical reminder of his presence and his providence for them. That pile of stones reminds me of what scripture calls an Ebenezer. I don't know if y'all have heard that word. Probably it's in a song, a really famous song. It's a Hebrew word for stone of help, and historically its purpose was to remind God's people of the ways that the Lord has provided. And again, in this passage, the Ebenezer is a literal pile of 12 stones, but through that we learn that the Lord places tremendous spiritual value on the act of remembrance. So maybe we can ask ourselves, if there's a a physical object in our lives that reminds us of a time God really came through and God provided for us, or maybe it's a song or a phrase or a place or a passage of scripture that serves as an Ebenezer for us personally. I invite you to consider leaning into that this week. Consider if there's something around your living space or maybe in your car or on your uh, playlist somewhere that kind of reminds you, oh yeah, there's that time that God pulled through for me. And, and when you are feeling discouraged, to, to take a look at that and, and let that be a reminder to you. Because there's a reason God told his people in the Old Testament to tie his words as symbols on their hands, bind them on their foreheads. It's because we are imperfect people with imperfect memories. Speaking for myself, I forget things like it is my job. And the number one thing that I am prone to forget is God's goodness, unfortunately. But I tell you this, I will never drive past the Tow River in Avery County, North Carolina, without thinking about working at camp and being tossed around by that rushing water and remembering God's majesty and God's providence in that moment. So I'll just leave us with this. God will stop his own river to show us himself. He humbled himself by, quote, becoming obedient to death even death on a cross, and his love for us knows no bounds. So I hope that's as encouraging to y'all as it is to me. I'm going to pray us out, and then we're going to engage in communion together. Dear Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your scripture that teaches us about, about your love for us, that teaches us about your unending desire to chase us down, bring us back home, Lord that teaches us about your love that never gives up, that's crazy in its own way, that doesn't seem logical because it isn't logical, Lord. 
We love you, we praise you, and we're thankful for all that you've given us. Amen.